I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your Bibles to the Minor Prophet Haggai. It's the third to last book in the Old Testament. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provided for you there in the rows, it's page 791. So page 791, Haggai chapter 2. We'll start in verse 10 today, and we will work our way through the end of the book. And as you make your way to Haggai 2, I just want to say that, um, man, we, we are so encouraged by God's work here. We're so cur- encouraged by how he has uh, sl- slowly but surely over the past three and a half years, like this is kind of seven people have become this. And, uh, and it's something that we never want to take for granted. You know, as, as you're in the midst of, of the work of God, it's kind of, you know, you're always thinking about what's next. And, and so it's good just to pause and reflect and say thank you uh, for what what he has done and what he continues to do, what we expect him to continue to do. Uh, and and I, one, one thing that's always helpful uh, for that is actually the, the North American Church Planting Foundation Conference that uh, most of our staff goes to uh, each, each fall. So uh, six of our staff uh, plus Lee and Zoe got to go with us this year, uh, went down to Raleigh to connect with a group of like-minded churches. Many of, you, many of you have heard us talk about them before. Churches that are spread out all across North America, from Boston to Seattle to Miami, back up to Toronto, and, and many places uh, in between. And it's just, uh, it's always humbling to, to reflect and see how God is working in our church, but also it's exciting to know that, man, God is working all over North America, and we're just a small piece of his larger kind of kingdom vision for what we want to see take place in North America and to the ends of the earth. So just know that we come back and encouraged and, ref- and refreshed, and we want to pass that uh, on to you uh, as well. And I pray that that can happen as we open God's Word today. Well, let me do something a little different. Uh, I've never done this before on a Sunday morning, but I just want to show you a little something here. Um, this would be what? It would be what? It's not scribbles. It's actually my signature, all right? And, uh, and so this is, I know, this is how some of you sign our church covenant. And then we rack our brain for weeks trying to figure out who you are, all right? So just know that we still love you, and I hope you love me. So, so, so this is my signature. Now, this isn't worth much. I think most people would agree. Um, so, the, so the sermon is not about uh, the, the worth of, of my signature. It would be a pretty short and pretty uh, boring sermon if that were the case. But I want us to think about the concept of signature. Okay, when we we sign our signature multiple times a week, right? I mean, think about all the times you sign your signature. If you if you make a purchase at a store with maybe a debit or or even maybe a credit card, we'll talk about that. Money series is coming, but um, but if you use some kind of card and and, and you're paying at a store, maybe you sign your signature. Um, if if there's some kind of official document, um, whatever that may be, whether it's an application, a release form, an agreement, a church covenant, whatever the case may be, often you are putting your signature on that document. If you are old school, all right, and we love old school around here, right, like throwback, flashback, it's all good, okay, so if you not only communicate maybe by email and text message, but you also write notes and letters still, you know, like that's still acceptable, people really like that, there's probably a chance that at the end of that letter, you sign your name. Now, what is it about a signature? What is the significance of a signature? And I think we would all agree that that, that signature places a stamp of approval on everything that was said 
in that document or letter or whatever the case may be. You would agree with that, right? It is a commitment to uphold that which has been communicated. Okay, don't miss that. A signature, in its essence, is is a a commitment to uphold that which has been communicated. Now, here is what I love about the book of Haggai. As we finish this book in in verses 10 through 23 of chapter 2, what we are going to find is God's signature on everything that he has said in that day, the 6th century BC, but also God's signature on everything that he says will happen in the days to come. So I want you to think with me about the signature of God, and we're going to dive into this topic of, of, of having holiness of heart and experiencing the blessing of God, all right? Holiness of heart and the blessing of God. I just want to review the first couple of of, of, of chapters that we have studied over the past two weeks to kind of catch everyone up to speed if uh, this is your first Sunday with us in a couple of weeks, okay? So what we have here are the the group of people known as the Israelites. They had dwelt in Israel, and they were displaced, taken into captivity by the Babylonians, okay? And, And the Babylonians took them into exile, and it's about 70 years later, they returned to Jerusalem to reestablish themselves in the city. Now, what happened at that point was they, they started to rebuild the temple, which should have been their main priority, but after they started rebuilding the temple, they faced some opposition to the point where they set aside their work and started to focus on other things, things that were easier and things that promoted their own comforts. So it says in in chapter one, Haggai says, look, you need to, here's the phrase, we're going to see it again today, you need to consider your ways. You need to think about your life. You need to reflect on how you are going about your life and and, and how you're living your life in light of who who God is and, and who he's revealed himself to be in your life. Haggai tells them, hey, look, you've, you've spent time building your own houses, and they're paneled, and they're, they're pretty nice, and yet this temple, the center of your worship, uh, it, it lies in ruins. And so after Haggai uh, shares this stirring word for them to consider their ways, encouragingly, we see that the people began to rebuild the temple. And they were discouraged because they saw that this temple wasn't going to be as glorious as Solomon's temple. You remember this from last week? Nor was it fulfilling the expectations and hopes of what they thought the, the new temple was going to look like. And so here he comes again, Haggai. He, says, he just has to say, look, you know, be, be encouraged because God is, not only is God with you now to help you complete the work, but God is with you and he's doing something that you will not believe because there is a glory coming that will surpass both Solomon's temple and even what you have in your mind. So we talked about seeking glory last week. And and so this week, we're going to look at the the instruction for them to continue on in the work. And this needs to happen through seeking God first, right? That's why we call this series God First. They need to prioritize a few things. And here's what they are uh, this morning. We're going to focus on holiness, reflection, and hope in the Messiah. All right? Prioritize God through holiness, reflection, and hope 
in his Messiah. The first five verses, verses 10 through 14, will, will instruct us to honor God by cultivating heart holiness. All right? So, so real quick, just to get you up to speed, we've been reading, reading, uh, singing about how God is holy and, and, and we should know him as the, the one true God, the only God, the holy God uh, of whom there is no one else like, all right? For God to be holy means he's set apart. There is no one like him. He alone is perfect in all of his ways. And out of his holiness, we as his people, he instructs us to be holy just as he is holy. The problem for them and the problem for us is we don't do that very well. And so we need the instruction to honor God by cultivating heart holiness as much as they did in the 6th century BC. So let's read these verses together and discover what they said to them and what they say to us today. Verse 10, on the 24th day, of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. All right, here's what's going on. We have this this final message. We're going to see two messages here, a fourth and a fifth message from Haggai uh, delivered on December 18th, 520. We can have really accurate dating because of all of the the historical context. In the second year of Darius, who was reigning uh, over the Persian kingdom, Uh, we we can know these dates very, very well. And it says that Haggai delivers this message. His primary audience are the priests of Israel. And he comes to them because if, they, if there's anyone who knows anything about the law and anything about pursuing a holy life, it would be the priests. And so he, he comes to them and he says, you know what, I need you to help me illustrate what God is really after here in this whole rebuild effort, okay? Because you see, the, the people were focused on rebuilding the temple, and rightfully so. This was commanded by God. He wanted them to rebuild this physical temple. But God was interested in something else. God did not simply want a physical temple to be constructed where, where they would worship him, but he wanted the, the, the walls of their heart, if you will, to, to be rebuilt in such a way that they would be worshiping him wherever they went. God was more concerned about the spiritual condition of their hearts than he was the physical condition of the temple. Now, the, now, now both at that time went, went together, that one reflected the other, but, but, but don't miss this. This isn't, this isn't just simply about, about stones, one on top of the other. And so to, to communicate this, Haggai goes to the priests, and he asks them a couple of questions. And he, he says first, he says, hey, if someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches it, touches with his fold, anything else, does it become holy? And the priest answered, uh, no, absolutely not. 
In other words, holiness is not transferred from this consecrated meat, okay, this, this meat that was blessed by God in, in different sacrifices of that time just because it touches some other kind of food. Holiness doesn't transfer from, from that to something else. And, and what is the point here? The point is the people assume because they were dealing with holy things and rebuilding a temple that was to be given to God in worship, that just because they were dabbling in holy things, that they themselves were holy. You got it? Just because we are associated with holy things does not make us holy on the inside. So let's just get very practical here this morning. You came to church. I'm really glad you came. In fact, I hope you come back next week and the week after that and the week after that and the week after that. But, but, but here's, here's a little, here's, it's not a secret, but here's just a little news for you, okay? You walking through these doors and sitting in these chairs, singing these songs, listening to this uh, explanation of the Bible, that does not make you right before God. Just because you, you pray. I mean, listen, 76% of Americans would say that prayer is an important part of their daily lives. 76%. Now, now, should we conclude that all 76% of those people that claim prayer is important are like in with God? They really love God. They're really devoted to God. They're really living their lives for, for God? Absolutely not. So it's good to pray. It's good to pick up your Bible and read it. It's good to come here on Sunday morning. It's good to jump into a community group. But listen, just because you are involved in spiritual holy things does not make you clean on the inside. Verse 13, he goes on. He says that, that not only is it, is it not about outside-in transformation, in other words, things on the outside can't make us clean on the inside, but he's going to show us that if we're unclean on the inside, then what we do on the outside also becomes unclean. This is what he says. Um, the next question, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean in the priest? And Haggai, all agree, yes, it becomes unclean. So if someone were to touch a dead corpse in that culture, they were considered unclean until they went through proper purification rituals. Um, that means that everything that they would touch from that point would be unclean. So, so do you see how Haggai is talking about, first he's talking about the things that we do externally doesn't make us internally pure or holy. Now he's saying um, that if we are unclean on the inside, what, what is going to, to become of our, our works, they're also going to be unclean. So again, to bring it back very practically, the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, 
This, this message that you're hearing this morning, I mean, I mean you know, you know I, I stand over here after the service, right, because I, I want to catch everybody. Primarily, if you're new around here, I try to catch you because it's good to meet new people, and, and we care about you. I want you to know that, that Redemption Hill is about relationships, and so we really value relationships here. And so I catch people on the way out the door, and whether you're new or whether you're, 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 you're not so new around here, a lot of times it's like, man, Tanner, hey, that was, you know, that was encouraging. That was good. You know, man, that sermon was dope. You know, I hope you preach it like that again next week. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that doesn't happen always, but, you know, so, so, sometimes. You know. Actually, maybe that was only in my dreams last night. Maybe I was, like, dreaming about that, and yeah, come on, Lord, make it true. So, uh, anyway, you could, you could sing and pray and listen, and, but if it's not coming for a, from a pure heart, then, then all, of our, all of our efforts, all of our good deeds... They're not holy before God. God is after our hearts. We can engage in holy activities with unholy hearts. And so what I want to ask you this morning is like when you came in today, is your heart in it? When you pick up your Bible, hopefully, uh, maybe later today, tonight, tomorrow, you know, is, is it because you love God? Is your heart in it? You say, well, Tanner, this is a great question, and I don't know how to answer it because I'm not sure if I, if I even know when my heart is in it. Help me out. And I'd be glad to help you out. How, how can we know when our heart is truly in something? Let me just give you, let me give you a two-fold framework, okay? Anticipation and jubilation. You got that? Anticipation and jubilation. What does this mean? There's an excitement. There's, there's an expectancy. There's a desire. And not only that, there's, there's a delight. Man, I, I love coming here this morning, and, and there is nothing else that I would rather be doing in this moment than this right here. I don't pick up the Bible because it's what Christians do. I pick up the Bible because I love God, because I want more of God, because I want God to change me, because my life is a wreck apart from his grace. Yes, I'm speaking not for you. I'm speaking for me. <laughs> Anticipation, jubilation. Could you, could you just ask yourself this? These holy things. I mean, what Haggai, the book of Haggai is given to us that we might be awakened to the glory of God and reflect on our lives and say, you know what, man, I am not as passionate and zealous for the things of God. I'm not as devoted to God, perhaps, as, as he would desire or even maybe that I see that I should be. And so we need to reflect on these things because, I mean, God is after our hearts. Jesus put it like this in the strongest words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. He says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Pause. People are going to stand before Jesus one day, and they're going to say, man, Jesus, we know you. Jesus, we called you Lord, both in this life and now I'm standing before you and I'm saying, you're the Lord. You're the Lord of everything. But Jesus says, not all, all of those people will enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
Who is it then, Jesus? It's the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? All of these good things, all of these apparently holy acts, and Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. If you assume that your attendance here today makes you right with God, you are tragically mistaken. Because you pray a couple times of the week, probably primarily self-centered prayers for God to get you out of trouble. I'm not trying to hate. I'm not trying to stereotype. I'm just saying, right? Just saying. If you pray just a couple of times a week, and you think that because you believe there is a God, that this God is, is, is okay with you, and you're not, not, no longer not in a, in a proper relationship with him, then you are tragically mistaken. And feel the, feel the weight of this. I mean, if you're here this morning and, and this resonates with you, then feel the weight of this because what Jesus is going to say to you, if, if your religion, your Christian commitment is just this external shell of duty, but not from a heart that truly loves God and is given to him every single day, then your eternity is on the line. Our good deeds, our religious acts will never gain our acceptance before God. And why is that? It's because our hearts are full of sin. Our hearts are full of idolatry. What does that mean? It means that we have put other things before God. And this is what, this is what the Israelites were doing in Haggai. So we love our job, and we love our family, and we love our friends, and we want to make a little more money. So we put extra time in, and we try to get that next uh, raise. And we, and we do all of this at the expense of God. God, I'll focus on you one day. I'll get that right, you know, at some point, and we'll, we'll work things out, you know, later. We are only accepted by God through the work of Jesus Christ. We can never be good enough. We can never do enough religious or spiritual things to be approved by God because we have sin in our life. So we need someone who can deal with our sin and do away with our sin. And that's what the cross is all about. The cross is not just an example. It's not a nice thing that Jesus did for us. It is him bearing the judgment of God bearing the wrath of God so that we might be brought into a relationship with him. And so, so hear, hear the good news then, all right? If Jesus is our access to God, then, then, then what happens? Well, he renews our heart and he makes us holy. Uh, check this out. For through him, Ephesians 2, for through him, Jesus, we ha both have access in one spirit 
to the Father. And he's just talked about the cross. He's just talked about the sacrifice of Christ and what Jesus has done for us. So we, through him, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now check this out. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a what? A what? A holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So so, so do do you see that? Through Jesus, we have access to God. It's through his sacrifice that that now we can have a right relationship with God again, that we can know true peace and joy and life and love and all the things that we were looking for, the satisfaction that we can never find in all of these other things, sex, money, um, power, approval, comfort, all of these things that we chase after. We can never be satisfied because satisfaction only comes through Christ. And now look what Christ does. He creates this new community that's called, they're called, we're called citizens, we're called the household of God, we're family, we talk about that a lot at Redemption Hill, and because Christ is the cornerstone, we are like living stones, Peter would say, we are being built into a holy temple in the Lord. So if you, if you want to be holy, and if you want your holy acts to be holy before God, then you, you get in with Jesus And he makes us holy, and then consequently, everything we do becomes holy when it's done in his name. So what are the the implications for us? Like, how does this change how we relate to one another, how we relate to those that are not maybe yet in Christ? Hopefully it changes everything. Hopefully it motivates everything we do, or we want this this light that we're singing about, you know, that Christ has shown in our hearts, and he's made us light. Now we want to shine that before others to motivate them to live for God, and we want to shine that before those who don't yet know God so that they would maybe hunger and thirst for for this this thing that we have in Jesus that truly satisfies uh, our lives. These first five verses are about how God is looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. This is our meta-memo verse, okay, the verse we want to meditate on this week. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless before him. So so we first want to honor God by cultivating heart holiness. Number two, uh, let's consider our ways and the blessing of God that follows. Look at verse 15. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider 
Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. So what we have going on here is instruction from God. Once again, three times he is going to tell his people to consider. Consider your ways. Consider what life was like before you sought to to rebuild the temple. And now consider what life is going to be like after you start this restoration project. And we said, remember, from, the, from, from two weeks ago, that the word consider means to set our heart upon our ways. It means to, to reflect, to, con, to, to think about uh, how our life is truly going. It carries the idea of serious reflection. And so, so let me just ask you a, a difficult question, perhaps. Um, how often in, in your life right now do you just kind of pause? Just, just kind of hit that pause button, you know what I'm saying? Just kind of chill, step back. I mean, we're, we're, we're busy people, right? We live in Boston, right? I mean, we're, we're ambitious people. We're, we're, we're trying to work on that next degree, and we're working hard in our jobs, most of the time 50-plus hours a week. I mean, we, we, get, we get busy. We get that there's a lot going on. Plus, we, we, we love people. We, we like to have a little bit of a social life after all, right? Yeah, I'm, I feel you. I'm with you there. And, so, and, then, and then you bring family into the mix and maybe a little bit of a hobby. And then all of a sudden, man, it's like, where'd the time go? I'll tell you where it went. It came right into your calendar, and it gave you no time to pause and stop and consider and reflect. That's where it went. So, so let, me, let me encourage us here, okay? Not only should we find time, I think each day, just in light of the, we're not legalists around Redemption Oak, or we're not saying you have to read, you know, you know, 10 chapters every day, or you're not a true Christian. That's legalism. We're not about that. But, but just saying that in light of what God's word says about how much of a treasure this is and how worthy God is of our daily pursuit, I mean, why would we not want to set aside time every day because we want to, because we anticipate and we want to exalt and delight in that? Why wouldn't we want to spend time every day with God? Just, just some time with God every day. I, I'm in for that. I hope you are too. But... Do you, do you ever, like, pause beyond just that, that daily rhythm? Do you ever take maybe a, a great portion of your day or maybe a, a whole day, maybe once every three or four months, and just, just hit pause and, and, and get away so that you can spend time with God? Has that ever crossed your mind? Let me encourage you to do that. Yeah, and I know the objection, I mean, Tanner, I don't have time for that. I mean, you should see my calendar. I understand. Believe me, I understand. I can show you my calendar after worship. I understand. But, but, but let, me just, let me just say, what if, what if the cost was, was, was greater to not do that than it is to, to find the time? Could you, could you go to bed early one evening, like jump off the TV, Facebook, you know, yeah, I can't go out, sorry, I'd like to maybe next Friday, Saturday. Like, could you go to bed early one night so that you could get up early? Like, have you ever gotten up at five just to spend time with God? You, you, get, up, you get up at five, I just found you until noon, I just found you, let me do the math, what, seven and a half hours, start at 530? 
Is that, is that enough time? Anybody ever spent seven and a half hours with God, just, just going, you and, you and God, prayer in the word, meditating, thinking, considering your ways? You still got the rest of the day to do family and friends and whatever. And it may be so good that 12 becomes one, two, three, and four. You know what I'm saying, huh? So we need to consider our ways. We need to stop. We need to pause. We need to reflect. And he wants them to think back and say, okay, what was life, before, life like before this restoration project? And the, the, the deal was, it wasn't that great. They're going and they're looking for 20 measures and they come up with 10. They go, go to the wine vat for 50 measures of wine and they're coming out with 20 measures. And, and, and things were not that good. And why was that? It's because they had forsaken God. And God in his grace will discipline his, his children. And why, do, why would any uh, mother or father discipline their child? It is to grab their attention, right? It's, it's the, to bring them back and say, you know what? Hey, you think you know best, but because I have some years of experience on you and some wisdom in life, I am gonna, I'm going to say, hey, you need to go to time out for a moment. You need to think about these things, all right? You need to listen to my voice because I know best. And God, at times, will discipline us as his children because he knows best and, and, and he knows what is going to bring us back, not only to his ways, but, but, but to him. What, 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 did, what did verse 17 say? Look at that again. It says at the end, yet you did not turn to me. This is the goal of repentance. This is the goal of restoration, that we would be brought back into a vibrant relationship with God. The essence of sin is, is, is a forsaking of God where, where our relationship with him is either alienated because we're not in Christ, or even if we're in Christ, our fellowship is, is broken with, with God. It's not, it's not uh, non-existence, but it, it's, 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 it's disrupted. And so the goal of, of every uh, discipline and, and, re, and, and restoration effort is, is to be brought back into a vibrant relationship with God. So he wants them to consider life before they started the Rebuild Project, and he wants them to consider what life will be like after the restoration project. And, and these verses are a little tricky if you don't think about them and, and, and maybe do a little study. But, but basically what's going on, he's saying, like, now consider from this day what's, what's going on. And he says, is, was, is, there, is, is there a seed yet in the barn? Um, has, has the vine and the fig tree, has it, has it yielded anything yet? And the answer is, is no. So he said, well, God, this doesn't seem much better here. What's, what's going on? I think this is what the text is, is meaning. God has chosen to bless them since they have turned back to him and started this, this rebuild effort. So the seed is in the ground, and it's December, and it's not time for harvest yet. So what they have to do is, is exercise some faith to say, you know what, the seed is in the ground, and we don't see the fruit yet, but we believe that God is going to bless us. So he says, consider, consider your ways. What it was like before, consider your ways moving forward and trust and believe that because God is good, because God is gracious and kind, he wants to bless you. 
That is his desire. And and what does blessing mean? It means that the favor of God is resting on us that we might experience his original design and flourishing. That is a robust definition of the blessing of God, and it is what we should all long to experience. The favor of God shining upon us that we might experience the flourishing that he wants for us. Which then leads us to the last four verses of the book where we see this blessing more fully realized in what he outlines in these four verses, okay? Let's read verses 20 through 23 together. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shittil, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord. All right, here, here's what's going on here. There is blessing coming. Verse 19 ends, and it says what? But from this day on, I will bless you. Now, verses 20 through 23 are a more full picture of what that blessing is going to look like. So, so we first see that this eternal blessing that we can experience through Jesus the Messiah, okay, point three, it, it will include destruction. And you say, well, where is, where is blessing and destruction? That, that seems confusing. Well, there, there is blessing and destruction when everything that opposes God is one day destroyed. So when, when, when Haggai uses this language again, it's coming from, from, from the mouth of God. He is saying, I am about to shake the nations. Again, we saw this last week. This is, a, this is a signal of judgment that is coming, destruction that is coming on everyone and everything that opposes God. He is going to, to, to bring judgment. The reckoning will come. But, but not only will eternal blessing include destruction, it will also include deliverance. This is verse 23, and I mean, there is so much in verse 23. He says that, that he is going to take you, Zerubbabel, this servant, and he will make him like a signet ring, for he has chosen you, declares the Lord. Now, what on earth is going on here? Let me just cut to the chase. Zerubbabel belongs to the house of David. David was Israel's greatest king. And why is this so significant? It's because God had promised David, that it would be through his lineage that he would set up a forever throne and be a blessing to the world. So 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verses 12 and 13 says this, I will raise up for your offspring after you uh, who shall come from your body, David, and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name. 
and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, so let, me, let me show you how this works, okay? This is so good. God created the world and everything in it, and he created it good and for his glory. And everything in the beginning was experiencing the full weight of the blessing of God, the favor of God, the flourishing that God had designed for our world. That's Genesis 1-2 and the first part of Three. But then we get into Genesis 3, and we see that creation moves to decreation. All right, this is a term that a church father in the, in the fourth century, Athanasius, would, would kind of uh, communicate, and, and he would say that what decreation is, is, is taking the things that God has made and, 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 and not worshiping him with them. So decreation is our sin. Decreation is our, our rebellion against God. Decreation is, is choosing to reject the blessing of God that we might go our own way. And so the question becomes then, how will, how will this blessing be restored? And so as, er, as early as Genesis 3, the serpent crushing, getting his head crushed by this offspring to Noah and Abraham and David, there is a promise of a forever king who will set up and build a house for God's name. And this house is not a temple, but it is a house. And that means dynasty or lineage. Okay. So, so the Messiah, Jesus, who this is all pointing to, will, will set up, will build a house for God's name that, that God might have a people who worship him. So, so Zerubbabel here uh, is, is a type of Christ, okay? And, and what this is pointing us to is that just as, just as Zerubbabel was a servant in that time, God is raising up a servant who will have a specific assignment to carry out. And this is what Isaiah uh, talks about in his servant songs. But, but then, don't miss this, the servant will wear a ring, and this signet ring uh, was worn by, by kings in that day to uh, authorize documents. And so two things that we learn about a signet ring. Number one, it authenticates whatever document that, that, that may be uh, stamped there with his ring. So it carries authority on the one hand, but also it, it carries the exact likeness of uh, the, the king's throne. Okay, so, so that, that stamp that comes from the ring is a reflection, a representation of the authority of the king. And so this is exactly what we see in the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. John 1, 4, uh, 1 18 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact what? Imprint of his nature. Jesus is the signature of God. Jesus holds the authority of God. Jesus is, is communicating all of who God is. And Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, is restoring the blessing that God had designed in the very beginning. So for everyone who 
places their faith in Jesus and doesn't trust in their own ways, but trust in what he has done for them, then we become partakers of this, this third stage of recreation. We are being remade into the image of God, and, and the destination doesn't stop there, but one day we will experience new creation where we will dwell with God forever. You say, well, Tanner, this sounds really, really good. I hope you feel that way here this morning. And you say, well, I really hope this will take place. And let me tell you something. It, we can have complete confidence that it will because uh, seven times in verses 20 through 23, we see the action of God. I'm about to shake. I will overthrow. I will take you. I will make you. I will chosen you, declares the Lord three times in verse 23. I mean, this is God's deal. This isn't our deal. So we can have certainty that it will happen. Amen. (laughs) So, So what does this then move us to? I hope this raises some holy affections in your heart. I hope this lifts you up and gets you excited to know God and live your life for him this week because that is exactly what it should do. It should move us to worship, okay? It should move us to give our lives and in, in, in worship to him in everything that we do. Jesus would quote Psalm 118, and he would say to, to the religious people of that day, he would say, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected, speaking of of him, has become the cornerstone of the temple. And he says, this was the Lord's doing. I am about to shake. I will overthrow. I will take you. I have chosen you, declares the Lord, declares the Lord, declares the Lord. This is his doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. There's nothing better than this. It's amazing. It's awesome. It should fill our lives with awe-filled wonder. God, how could it be? How could it be that you would take me, someone who rebelled against you, who, who didn't love you, who didn't who want no part of you? There's none righteous, no, not one God. We were spitting in his face. We would have been the ones in the crowd shouting, crucify him, the perfect, innocent son of God. But it is marvelous. It is so marvelous that God would love us in spite of us. When we were unlovely, Christ died for us. So he brings us in. He welcomes us in. Though we were like that prodigal son, the father runs out to meet us, and he wraps his arms around us, and he offers us grace. He offers us a seat at his table. He offers us to be a forever part of his home. And so if this will not, I know I got to look excited here. If, if this does not move you to worship, I don't know what will. This has to be marvelous in our eyes. And finally, it should move us to proclaim how great he is. This, this whole picture, okay? Jesus, the true and greater temple, John 1, 14, 1, 18, and 2, 21, Now he's building us into a true and great temple because he is the cornerstone. And this is how Peter puts it. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, that's that's you. If you're in Christ, you're a living stone being built up as a spiritual house. Remember that? 
2 Samuel 7, a house for my name. This is what Jesus is building here. And he's building us to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are now acceptable to God. Why? Through Jesus Christ, not because of our own doing. So we are then, verse 9, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So when we see the work of God, the grace of God, the blessing of God, the offer of God to us in Christ, we have to respond in worship and in proclamation that all people, no matter where they are, no matter what their background may be, no matter how far they seem to be from God, everyone is welcome to be partakers of this light. This is our privilege, church. Let's go and be about taking this light into the world. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful that you have sent the true and greater temple, Jesus Christ, who is the true and greater king to live the life that we could never live and die the death that we should have died so that through him we might have life in his name. So Father, would you make us a people that would be so astounded by the gospel that you have given us your signature in Christ and and you have authenticated all of your words and promises in him that, that we would just be in awe of you, that we would say this is marvelous. It is too great for words and it is so great that I will not keep my mouth shut. Lord, forgive me for keeping my mouth shut and shining such a dim light. So, so many times, Lord, would you move us? Would you fill us by your spirit to, to shine a, a beautiful light for your namesake. God, if if your grace doesn't infuse us, then, then it won't happen. But God, we trust, we believe by faith that you will do this all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.